0: <laughs> all right. Thank you for coming back for yet another episode. Hey, all you crazy sci fi and fantasy fans, it's time for your daily dose of shenanigans over here at the Blasters and Blades podcast. Just three nerdy veterans geeking out over our science fiction passions and fantastical fantasies, a place where magic is king, the sky is the limit, and space is the place. We are the podcast that puts the fun in dysfunction. So, without further ado, first a little housekeeping. I just want you to know. Uh, Nick is not here. Not because we fired him, I promise. Uh, Stabby wouldn't let us. He is actually in Florida doing some sort of Border Patrol boat driver stuff. Who knew they had boats? Go figure. And uh, Doc is in the middle of a move, so it's just just me today. But I have a really fun guest, so that should make this really easy. He'll try to stop me from sounding stupid. So with that being said, no pressure, Craig. But we have Craig Martell. Could you please introduce yourself to our listeners and viewers?
1: All right. <clears throat> I'm uh, Craig Martell, veteran I retired from the Marine Corps a little over 20 years ago, for Pete's sake, and then uh, I went to law school and got a law degree and did some of that stuff for a while, and for the last eight years, I've been writing full-time, so I'm a third-time retiree failure, and uh, this is what I do. I write science fiction. I write thrillers. I've got a thriller on the other screen that I'm working on right now, the fifth book in my Ian Bragg series, however, and he's a Marine veteran, of course, because, hey, that's how we do it. But uh, science fiction—that'll be the next book as soon as this one's done. I've got the fourth book in my Starship Lost series, which that hasn't—that hasn't run yet. It doesn't uh, publish the first book until uh, October, October 9th, tenth, something like that.
0: You Marines are, are funny types. We actually did some interview or some books where I've written space Marines in some universes. You leave the lo- the Marine, the M in Marine lowercase. Some, they want to capitalize. I know Americans always want to capitalize. Not all foreign Marine Corps do. So to see the comment section, go back and forth in some of these space Marine books where everybody's like at each other's no, my way is the right way. Marine. <laughs> it's pretty amusing. So well, what's your if, if, on it?
1: if you don't, if you don't capitalize Marine, you're you're probably uh, small and insignificant, and army. <laughs> so uh, well, no, I I always capitalize marine. And despite my my first editor, I had to train her because she's like, oh no, marine. It's like it's like soldier. It's like air force. I'm like hell no, it's not like that. At all. <laughs> so uh, so so I always capitalize marine. And uh, a, a good a good friend of mine, John Heinmarsh, he passed away after writing the fourth book in his six book series and uh I, I picked up i told him when he was on his deathbed i said i'll write the last two books uh, of, of your series and then i started writing uh, i started researching to to write the fifth book and i noticed that he had not capitalized marine so i said no problem i'm gonna go back in and i'm going to fix books one through four so i went into a uh, a find replace and i i capitalized all of them and then re-uploaded them and then wrote books five and six with Marine appropriately capitalized, of course. John was Australian, so I forgive him for that. However, uh, we fixed
0: it. So my mom spent her career working for the Department of the Navy uh, in the Safety Center. And the first time I wrote uh, in a world where they didn't capitalize it, which is the Galaxy's Edge, their Space Marine is lowercase. Her old boss called and he's like, no, this is not acceptable. You will call your bosses and tell them to fix this or else. I'm like, yes, sir because that's what you say to Marine colonels. You just, you just, yes, sir.
1: Well, one one of the things I looked at it from a business perspective as well, and uh, people use Marine because they're trying to capitalize on that uh, mystique, the stigma, the feeling that people have when they, when they read about Marines, even if it's 500 years in the future, if it's 500 years in the future, call it something else. But if you're going to call it Marine, you're trying to build off the, The what the Marines in the 20th, 19th, 18th centuries has built. So if you're going to do it in that case, capitalize Marine, because the only thing you're going to do is lose readers. You're not going to gain readers by not having Marine capitalized. I mean, if you say soldier, not capitalize it, or Air Force person and not capitalize it, or, or sailor and not capitalize it, you don't create the same kind of animosity from a readership. But if me, as a retired Marine want readers who are Marines, whether they serve one tour or, or uh, retired, then absolutely I must capitalize Marine. And that's why I do it. It's a business sense as well. as It's absolutely the right thing to do, but it's a business purpose is that I see that I would only lose readers if I didn't.
0: That makes sense. I know at least the reason I think a lot of people also use the space Marines in the future, because the idea is when you're talking space, you've got ships, and then soldiers or warriors coming off the ships to do the fighting, the Navy Marine Corps analog just makes so much sense. And then if you think about it like that, then it makes sense that like the army would be planet side and the air force would be terrestrial required. Like it just kind of makes sense if you think about the jobs of each branch. Well, it
1: makes it easier for the reader to internalize the visuals. If you say Marine, because you're, you're thinking, okay, a landing, whether an opposed or unopposed landing going ashore, like the Space Marines, which is what uh, the Mobile Infantry was for, for Heinlein, but he avoided all of that by calling them the Mobile Infantry, the MI.
0: The, the only thing that's going to be a wild card in everyone is how they're going to consider the Space Force going forward. Right now they're just dweebs with pocket protectors <laughs> and uniform, but I don't imagine that Yeah, that was the worst Guardians. decision they could have made.
1: Yeah, it's like the Washington Commanders. Get the hell out of here.
0: Most Washington of the people...
1: Washington Football Club sounded great. Actually, it grew on me.
0: Yeah, the the people local hate it. I still see people flying the Redskins as their flags. Like they don't. Nobody's flying the Commander stuff.
1: (laughs) Or the Guardians flag. Yeah, Cleveland Um, Guardians. They're no longer the uh, Indians, I believe. Yeah,
0: I I believe so. I think the uh, the Space Force should have called people that were actually prior service in some branch that existed other than them, because their marketing people failed them horribly yeah so.
1: yeah they did but it was uh mostly air force people so of course uh yeah yeah i, I let the marines <clears throat> the marines would have uh, come up with something real uh <clears throat> like uh is your alien preg- impregnated yeah that's what we're here for uh, <laughs> the uh <clears throat> i mean marines have a certain reputation that's probably not good in that regard but uh yeah, Marines as uh, as as uh, guardians. I'm I'm just I'm not a fan.
0: I, I was not either. Uh, in the uniform, I, I mean, it's some very Battlestar Galactica vibes, but it just I don't know. Just it just looks like they were trying too hard. So, the next part of the introduction, dear listeners, how we found them. So, I actually met uh, Craig through the 20 Books to 50K, which is an indie author group, and then we met in person in 2018 at the Vegas Conference, and I've stayed in touch with them since then. I really admire how much you uh, you put yourself out there to help other new authors. In fact, you have a whole podcast on YouTube where you, like, give five-minute advice for people on the go, and uh, you definitely believe in <clears throat> paying it forward, which I think, you know, I try to do that, too, so I, I really appreciate that you do that. Yeah. Oh.
1: You bet. yeah, And that's one thing. Uh, as a lawyer, we had a certain amount of pro bono work. We were expected to do 10%. And once I started writing, I saw a lot of people needed help. And one of the most important things was I needed help when I first published because I had no idea. I had no idea where to go for, for any kind of information. And uh, it it just worked that I published about the same time as Michael Anderley published. And all of a sudden, he said, hey, I don't k is is toxic. I'm I'm gonna start my own group, and I don't care if anybody comes or not. But this is where I'm gonna talk about. Here's what I'm doing right. Here's what I tried and it didn't work. Here's what I tried and did work. And uh, so I followed him over. I was one of the first fifty people over to uh, the new group. And about a year later, I took over running the group for Michael, uh, just to keep uh, just keep it going forward. And now we're at seventy two thousand members. I mean, we run the biggest shows uh, on the planet for. Into indie. We have a lot of traditionally published authors as well. Uh, just giving back makes sense. During the pandemic, people were people were su- struggling and suffering. So we ran a one hour podcast every single day until I got like a $2,200 internet bill because I didn't, I don't have fiber or anything. Now I have Starlink and it works great. But uh, so 20, so I called that, I, I canceled that hour a day interview. And then went with uh, a five-minute focus, just five minutes because people were, they didn't have an hour all the time. They Right away they did because everything was in a state of flux. But then uh, about uh, July or August of 2020, we changed it to the five-minute focus just to get five minutes of people's attention, hit, it, hit one topic, hit it uh, concisely, and then move on. And it worked really, really well. And I think uh, I did episode 718 today or something like that.
0: Nice. So if you asked, wondered about his Wi-Fi bill, he'll have you believe he actually lives in Alaska, but I suspect that the rumors about him living on the dark side of the moon might be true. I'm just saying it's
1: a, it's a, yeah, yeah. The moon is, uh, is, is artificial and aliens live inside of it and they've lost the, they've been there long enough that they no longer understand that they are inside of a planetary (laughs) planetoid object. So, uh, that, that's uh, that's that's how it is. That's my attitude. And this is why so many alien spacecraft crash on Earth. You think, how could they fly 110 billion miles and then they're just going to crash when they get here? Well, they didn't. They only flew from the moon because these are the heretics who escaped <laughs> the evil clutches of the overlords who now rule inside the moon. So that's what, so these are craft that really are barely spaceworthy, And of course they're going to crash because that's what they're intended to do. To just get the hell away from the moon. So that's, like the my, wet, that's my, that's my theory. Feet. And I write science fiction.
0: It's like the wet feet, dry feet with Cuba, right? Like you just, they just got to touch down. They're good. And if you ever, like, this is a perfect example, dear listener, when people ask an author, like how do they ever come up with their ideas? It's like, no, no, no. How do you turn them off so you can focus on whatever you've got to write? Because there's right. never a problem of too many ideas.
1: Yeah, you can't stop them from coming up with these crazy theories. Yes, I do watch Ancient Aliens, and I think almost all of their theories are wrong. However, in the end, I really think they're right—that that, uh, that uh, we we are not alone.
0: I mean, mathematical probability says that we we probably. The other part that gets people is everyone thinks alien, and they think like sentient and ET. But I mean, technically, if we find an amoeba on Mars or any other planet, that's alien. It doesn't Mm -hmm. have to be thinking.
1: Which they've already found. They've already found uh, uh, bacteria and stuff on Mars. So we're not
0: alone. Well, the question they have to determine before they can declare it alien life is if that was introduced by us when we sent the probes and stuff up, uh, if we have polluted the environment. But they did. I don't know if you've noticed. A windstorm knocked the rover around, and they actually found um, what looks like, Nick, could be happenstance, but it looks like a mollusk shell. Uh, that was fossilized. They don't know if it's an actual shell or sometimes nature just happenstance. It could just be rock formation for a billion reasons, but um, it does fit because we found uh, life in very inhospitable places like the Yellowstone Flats with the sulfur-based life form. And uh, a spelunker was diving in an ice cave under the Antarctic and he found life below where we thought anything could possibly live. So,
1: Like clams who are on volcanic uh, vents in the Pacific ocean at extreme depths and they build like an iron shell, but it's a living creature that lives in a volcanic vent. That's like 700, 800 degrees. That's crazy. Life, uh, life adapts.
0: What was it they said on uh, Jurassic park? Life finds a way. (laughs) So, but uh, while we did ditch the script, dear listener, we didn't leave the most important part, sir. So we've got the religion question for you. Are you ready for this?
1: Probably not.
0: Stargate, Babylon 5, or Battlestar Galactica?
1: Which Battlestar Galactica? Dealer's choice. You get to call it. All right. <clears throat> I'll tell you what. From a, a science fiction author perspective, I do like Stargate because of the open nature of the episodes, and the episodes are self-contained. Battlestar Galactica, you're watching it, you can't really watch the episodes in a vacuum. Whereas Stargate, you kind of can. Uh, they may, they have threads, but they're still standalone episodes. Uh, <clears throat> what was the other one? We have uh, Battlestar Galactica. Babylon 5. Now, Babylon 5 is a, is a great show. It's a great show. It was, considering the uh, time it was made, the graphics are incredible. And Jakar and Londo... Uh, Andreas Katselas and Peter Jurassic. I think they made that show. I think they, as actors, uh, superseded everyone in regards to the quality of their acting. Uh, the other, the storylines were incredible. Uh, Jay Michael Straczynski, the the one who uh, the showrunner as well as the author, he wrote the episodes. Uh, it just a, a genius storyteller. So they both have their place, but rewatchability. I, I think Stargate has uh, I, I just prefer Stargate for rewatchability Babylon five. I, I've rewatched that maybe three times and I've probably rewatched all of Stargate, you know, 220 ep- episodes plus Atlantis. I love Atlantis Stargate universe was okay, but it just stopped in the middle. And I didn't like the one, uh, the main character, he's kind of a jag off, but uh, Stargate Atlantis, especially when Jason Momoa came on, loved that one. And uh, even though, there's uh, They were uh, chasing their tails with the Wraiths and doing all kinds of crazy stuff. Still, I, I, I give the nod to Stargate. Uh, Babylon 5 is right up there. Battlestar Galactica, you just kind of got to watch all five seasons. And it looked like, hey, the show's getting canceled. We got to do something. Oh, the show's renewed. We're going to do something. It just seems like a little herky-jerky on the the writing for that, for the overall storyline.
0: So what did you think of Stargate Universe?
1: <clears throat> I love the premise. And actually, the premise, if you read my Battleship Leviathan series, mm-hmm. the premise of a smart ship uh, makes a whole lot of sense to me. And a smart ship that's really, really big. <clears throat> so that's uh, Battleship Leviathan. And that series is is my best-selling series by far. I'm closing in on 4,000 reviews for the first book. So overall, pretty cool. And actually, I, I like it, too. It's one of the series that I think uh, I wrote the best.
0: You have so many books; it's hard to keep track. I haven't read that series, but I've read a lot of your work. I'll have to check that out. Is that an audiobook? <clears throat>
1: uh, it is. It is an audiobook. Okay, and that, that was uh, through uh, uh, Tantor. And the, the book one got an Audible deal of the day and rocketed all the way up to number five overall in the whole Amazon store for uh, yeah audio, ebook, paperback, all of it got number five overall in the whole store. So, uh, so if, yeah, yeah, moved a lot it, of copies of that.
0: I'll have to check it out and do some reviews for it because I've been writing my book reviews for Upstream Reviews. As uh, I was writing them anyway, writing for them versus my blog. I actually get people reading them, so it's kind of nice to have feedback. That's cool. Um, That's cool. So if you like the concept of, like, the living ship, were you a friend of the uh, Andromeda? Because, I mean, it was sentient AI, but it was still sort of alive.
1: Yeah. A- Andromeda, I have watched a few episodes of it, and I just couldn't get into it. Same thing with Farscape. Okay. I, I watched uh, the first three seasons. I've got the complete. Our internet sucks so bad, but so I so I bought a lot of DVDs and I have the the complete series on DVD and I'm still fighting my way to get through it. So, uh, Stargate, okay. uh, 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 Farscape only I only made it so far.
0: Okay, and because we are polytheistic, sir, Dragon Slayer, Conan the Barbarian, or Mad Max for the fantasy side of the house. <clears throat>
1: Oh, geez, I wouldn't consider Mad Max fantasy. That's post-apoc, which is pure sci-fi, man. Teo Twaki, the end of the world as we know it. Uh, And I would give the nod to Conan because uh, when I was growing up, I was uh, an overachiever. I was really smart as a little kid. And my brother's eight years older than me, and he had a big sci-fi library. Uh, My my sisters had a big sci-fi library, but it was all Avon uh, romance. So, uh, or Harlequin romance, uh, and my brother's sci-fi series, he had all of the original, uh, Conan, the barbarian books, Robert E. Howard, L. Sprague to camp and, uh, and Lynn Carter. And now when I look at it as an author, you can really tell the difference between the L. Sprague to camp and the, uh, Lynn Carter versions compared to the original Robert E. Howard stuff. <clears throat> and I, I loved it. And from a movie perspective, Arnie's uh, uh, version, just because Basil Pol- Polidorus doing the soundtrack was exceptional, and of course uh, James Earl Jones. How can you miss? So that version, I think, was the the version and will never be topped.
0: James Earl Jones has got that voice that is always, I think, going to be iconic. Yep, the, the fates, the gods, whatever you believe in, gifted him when they gave him that voice. <laughs> so. And uh, we, we have much like we call it our Scrabble rule. Like with Scrabble, you have to agree on what dictionary you're going to use. So there's consistency. So we have a, a movie review website and we use their classification system and they called Mad Max sci-fi. I mean, fantasy. So I've kind of went with it. I think post apoc could almost be a either or. Like you could have yeah. post a or-
1: I mean, Hunger Games, is that, is that fantasy or is that science fiction? I mean, what uh, uh, where do you want to put it?
0: And even the Chronicles of Shannara, which on its surface look totally fantasy, was a post-apoc world because uh, yeah. you can see the remnants of like ships that were once oceans had been as they moved, that sort of thing. So yeah. that's the fun of post-apoc, though. It's a little bit of everything. You write some post-apoc too, don't you? you? seem to remember oh, you wrote I've, something about the Alaska something. I've, got,
1: uh, I've I got like 29 post-apocalyptic books. So, yes, I write it. I like it. Uh, it sells well for me. My uh, End Times Alaska, that was uh, an all world bestseller back in uh, August, and that is with a traditional publishing house. So I have a uh, that makes me a hybrid author in that I have books both with traditional houses as well as with uh, uh, with myself publishing uh, self published.
0: So what is it about the um, post apoc that speaks to you? And then we'll get to the topic we brought you here for. one of
1: the main things is, are you surviving or, or are you uh, just existing? And you got to do more than that. So just uh, being alive, that's cool. But I'm all about accomplishing something, doing something a little bit different, being being better than you are. So what it, what will you rebuild and how will you rebuild it? And that's the whole premise behind End Times Alaska, which is four book series set right here in Fairbanks and and the local environs and has sold really well and still continues to sell really well up here
0: okay well normally we would have a whole slew of getting to know you questions but one we threw out the script because you asked us to dear listener dear viewer and also craig's been on a few times so does he really need to say the same thing all over again it'd get boring i promise so instead we're going to pause for a moment while we uh we talk about the commercial which is really easy for you because he's sponsoring this episode because you're so generous and the the sponsor is going to be the international association of sci-fi and fantasy authors Uh, and you would think this is an author group but they have plenty that's out there for uh for the readers uh including giveaways all the time uh there's a newsletter so you can find out about cool new authors that you might not have heard of and again the newsletter gives you sales as well um, that you wouldn't necessarily get uh just by browsing amazon they might not tell you because their notification system is sometimes um, less than perfect I've I've been told about sales that I got the email after the sale ended, which is always <laughs> frustrating. It's like no, so close. So, but uh, with that being said, can you tell us a little bit about about the uh, IASFA?
1: Yeah, I wanted a place where we focused on making sales for science fiction and fantasy authors, not just uh uh and no awards. I'm I'm hugely anti award because I think that creates divide uh, divisions and also pits authors against each other it becomes a popularity contest. And once it becomes worth winning, then it, it reduces in value because people will do anything weird to get it. And if they don't get it, now people become weird again. Nothing. The, there's one measure that shows your level of success. And that is how much money are you making as an author? And I I I am I'll stay true to that because it's a a sound benchmark to compare yourself against yourself as opposed to others. Hey, uh, somebody uh, somebody made a million dollars. I need to make a million dollars. No, I mean what's right for you? How much are you willing to spend? How much you're willing? How much are you going to make? How can you improve your margins? All the kind of business as well as what kind of marketing. So IASFA, I don't charge anybody for it. I paid I pay for. Uh, the website and 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 everything for it at present. We may charge dues eventually, but I'm not a fan of that either. Uh, especially as long as we can keep uh, uh, making uh, people be more successful. And as we run one promotion a month uh, with a themed uh, promotion, this month uh, it's well this month August is fantasy short stories. So that gets a short story into reader's hands we have a readership of i think 8,000 to ten thousand uh, that we maintain on our list and i, I pump uh, ads constantly trying to trying to bolster that we run various promotions through all the authors in isfa.org in order to build that list and keep that list energized and we'll we'll pump out our our monthly promotion to uh, uh to the readership so that's uh and then we have Questions regarding sales uh, uh, opportunities and how to market. Uh, it's uh, some people think, "Hey, I wrote one book. I need to market it." Well, the best way to market that first book is write the second and third book. That's how you. That's how you market. You have more than one book. If you have one book and your whole focus is on selling it, then you become a marketer and you're no longer an author. I like authors being authors. So since I sponsor this organization and I I, I pay for everything to run it. I uh I'll make the mandates and the dictates that it's for authors who want to keep writing and authors who want to make money. No, you're no the, uh yeah,
0: you're one ahead. of the one who who reminds people that you know when you look at some of these sales numbers, it's great if you brought a million dollars in, but not if you had to spend two million to do it. So it's yeah. uh sometimes it's it's about sustainability in the long term. Um because sometimes yeah. you know you got to get the return on investment. But this one of the return on investment you as as listeners and readers is that they, they do have that newsletter where you can sign up. And if you are like me, grew up on the um, Reader's Digest version of stories when you were younger uh, and you love short content, this is a place that loves it, too, and is, uh, is trying to bring it back. Um, and since there are not as many markets as we would like for that content, uh, Craig has, as long as I've known him, been been a proponent of that as well. In fact, he does the Expanding Universe, which he's published two of my short stories, anthology series. Is that going to move over and be part of the IASFA, or is that going to stay as part of Twenty Books?
1: No, no, it was never a part of Twenty Books. Oh, was it wasn't. Uh, okay. It was. Uh, it has been IASFA exclusive for two years now. Okay. So uh, number eight and number nine. Number nine publishes in oh geez six weeks. Uh, okay. I think uh, I think uh, September 11th, it goes live. It's on pre-order now. We're collecting the stories. We've been working with authors for six months now, getting uh, submissions, uh, canvassing them because we have a quality standard, and we want high quality short stories for the expanding universe. So TEU 10 uh, would be September next year if if we do it. I, uh, I always wait, make sure that we're doing okay. But uh, like the short stories that promotions that we're running with the group, science fiction was in June uh, or in July, and fantasy will be in au- uh, August. Once, once a year, we run each of the genres and they're broad, all of fantasy, uh, all of science fiction. And then we'll have lit RPG, we'll have post apoc, we'll have space opera, we'll have military sci fi, we'll, and, and all kinds of varieties of promotions throughout the year. You can check the website it'll give you the list of what's up when
0: yeah that's one of the things i like when it comes to at least with the author business it's not i mean it's it's cutthroat in that you know you have to make good contracts and such but you tend to get the idea of the rising tide lifts all ships so people tend to help each other more which is it's kind of makes it more community which i like because yeah. in theory i post i i publish anthologies you publish anthologies the traditional business model might say we should be at each other's throats because we're the competition but i pimp yours and you pimp mine and everybody wins that way because it builds the market
1: yeah which we're not just... incompetent and that's the readers can read a hell of a lot more than we can write because i Absolutely. submitted a story for years and it, it's accepted and i think it was a damn good story so i enjoyed I, it i, I uh I, I hope it resonates well with your readership and i hope your readers come over to my other books my backlist which is over geez i don't know how many books 130 i, I have well over 100 books published
0: and that's one of the things when I talk about Craig paying it forward, like he is a, a lawyer that's retired, but he's not my lawyer. We actually work with, um, what's the name of that company, um, LegalZoom, and they're generally great, but sometimes those lawyers don't understand IP law. So when he looked at the contract, he's like, yeah, this doesn't mean what that lawyer thought it meant. And he helped us fix it and didn't charge us just authors helping authors. So, yeah. and that's the yeah. kind of thing you get with the with this organization as well. They they. If you're an author, it's great to be part of it. They do fantasy and sci-fi. And if you're a reader, they're always giving you new content. And I know we get lots of your letters, dear listener, dear viewer, saying I've listened to or read all of the commercials you air and I need more. Well, sign up for this newsletter and you get more.
1: And and we only send one newsletter a month. So we're not going to inundate you or overwhelm you. And it's on the first day of the, the month's promotion. So you can look on the website and find, hey, here's where it is. And that's everything you need to know. And you'll get a newsletter on that day only during the month. And it'll have a bunch of stuff for free or 99 cents within it, as well as some other conversations with authors and then new releases. We have a new section for uh, other new releases from authors within that month.
0: I know at least 20 of our listeners personally that are, are readers that came over when I started the podcast that read literally a book a day, a novel a day. So when yeah. we say they read more than we can write we mean it. I don't know anyone that can write a novel a day. I yeah. mean I'm sure there's somebody but could they sustain that every day probably not. Yeah. So and we're talking longer novels not the uh, the old standard where 40,000 was a novel like like proper novel. Brandon Sanderson ruined the market for novels like people want more. Yeah.
1: I I tell you what I still I still write uh, 70,000, 70 to 80,000 and that's uh, that's about it. A, a, just coming in bigger. I mean, I've, the biggest book I wrote was 137,000 words and it just went on and on and on. The target for that one was only 100,000, but I had multiple main plots and it was the last book in a series that was tying everything together and it's just a brute.
0: Yeah, I like longer stories, but not if it feels like they're dragging it out and getting paid by the word count. Like Dickens ruined that concept for me. <laughs> where yeah. he was paid by the word and it, you could tell when you read it.
1: And you could tell. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, I, I, I enjoy longer stories, but if the story is concise and, and tells a good one, I don't mind buying the second book to get the story to continue, You know, because obviously authors got to get paid too, um, yep. which is the beauty of subscription services, you know, like Kindle Unlimited and some of the other, Barnes and Noble actually had a news, uh, news article out talking that they were considering something similar. Um, yeah. They've said that before, so time will tell.
1: Yeah, Barnes and Noble is they it's it's like they stopped being serious they're serious about in person again. Their sales have picked up and 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 they're no longer on the brink of immediate death. But Apple uh, stopped being serious about books. Uh, Kobo Plus is live now and that's co- but Kobo only has less than 1% of the market share. But that's a subscription service where you don't have to be exclusive to Kobo just un- unfortunately with Amazon and their business model, you have to be exclusive with Amazon to be a participant of the Kindle Unlimited program.
0: Yeah, the uh, uh, Smashwords seems to be growing and they've got a decent variety of people. uh, If you're looking for kind of niche content on various genres, like if you're you're only gonna read the romance with Yetis and dinosaurs and I don't know, aliens, like that kind of stuff, you can almost always find those weird niches. And I don't say weird in judgment people, you do you. Um, but that kind of stuff's always over on Smashwords, too. Some of the stuff that Amazon might censor for reasons that make no sense to anyone but their robots, you can find on those kinds of places, which is cool. Now, when you yeah. do your newsletter, is it all Amazon-centric, or do you list all over?
1: I, I am almost exclusively on Amazon, and every time I run a special, it's it's Amazon. So uh, I, I put it there. If I have it elsewhere then that'll show up uh, on my uh, universal book links. Okay. But uh, I'll also state it, but that is extremely rare. I am pretty much all in with Amazon. That being said, I publish on Amazon with five different publishers. So for some reason, I had an issue with my account. I got four other publishers publishing my stuff and uh, I will still get revenue. And I doubt we're all going to lose our our, uh, accounts at the same time. Because and we'll get them back because I'm not doing anything shady. So uh, just have to maybe go back and forth a little bit. Yes, I own the copyright on this. And here's here, this is my stuff and whatever it takes.
0: Now, some of the times we get from readers because I've gotten this in my own newsletters. Um, when you post links for you, the, is it a link that, you know, you get a little bit of percentage where it makes it's beneficial for the reader? to click the link from you or if they see it, you know, they just go look it up on their own. It doesn't help you if they click your links instead. No,
1: no, I do not do affiliate links at all in my newsletter. I used okay. to, but then uh, Amazon changed the rules into, in using it. And uh, I posted uh, a review once on Facebook and Amazon immediately sent me a message saying, oh, we don't like this review that you have posted and it could affect your affiliate. I'm like, hey, no problem. Cancel my affiliate account. Because I am going to post about stuff with my books, so uh, yeah. And I understand the reviewer owns the copyright of their review, yes. But once they publish it with attribution, there it is. You you can do that. So yeah, I canceled my affiliate account. It wasn't making enough to to be worth the while to be under Big Brother's thumb. So I'm not. I use no affiliate links. If I if I have a link, it's generally directly to my book.
0: I know some of the people um, do a lot on their phones these days. So I know people that will like just take a screen grab, you know, snap a picture of the screen on their phone, and then just come back to it later kind of thing. Um, I used to do that. And I realized I always forgot to go back to it. So at this point, I just leave the email unread till I'm at my desktop. But so when you do the newsletter and you're talking about the books, as we're trying to keep this focused, because you know, most of our audience are readers or listeners, are you focusing mostly on ebook, or do you also do sales for like print and audiobook?
1: Yes, I do. I do all of them, depending on what's on sale and what's available. Uh, best best value, best value for everybody is getting that first book either free or for ninety nine cents because you can look at it you're not you're not uh, all in where you paid 6.99 or 7.99 for a book like my thrillers are priced up up there now at uh, at 6.99 and 7.99 each. So that's a fairly hefty price tag for somebody to get in and check it out. But I'll run a sale 99 cents so you can get that first book and look or you can join my newsletter where I give an audiobook as well as like six short a full length book and five short stories. So a lot of opportunity to look at my stuff, listen to it at no cost and say, yes, I like that style. No, I don't. And that's it. So I'm not uh, I don't want anybody being surprised because in my newsletter, the onboarding sequence of five emails that you'll get, you're going to find out that I make my money off selling books. So the free books that you're getting during this sequence, those are just to make sure that you like my style at no at no risk to you besides your time. And I explained that over the course of the five emails. And I have a really good retention rate. If somebody gets that fifth email, they're coming on board and staying on board.
0: Speaking of art, and we were mocking the uh, the Space Force earlier, I really like the logo that you had designed for, for the IASFA. That's a mouthful to say really fast. So, so yeah. how did you come up with that? Because that has definitely a, a very military vibe, and I really like it. But, you know, it has the writer, kind of the keyboard, all that in there as mm-hmm. well.
1: I talked with a graphic art genius, and he is actually the guy who runs all of the Games Workshop uh, games, Warhammer 40K, in the United States for for Games Workshop. He's their guy here. And he was doing graphics. So I think I might be his only customer for covers because I don't have time anymore. And I'll, I'll get them way ahead of time. But I talked with him a couple times. I said, here's the whole concept. Here's what I'd like. And you know, that disappearing into the into the distance kind of kind of perspective. And he's like, oh, hey, I can put a keyboard here. Let's put a sun because star systems. And then he added the the stars and the pen and, and quill. I'm like, that's cool. And so yeah, yeah, that was the genius of Ryan Schwartz and a short couple conversations. And, and there we have it.
0: It definitely gives me Last Starfighter vibes, and I really like that, because that was one of my favorite shows, movies growing up.
1: Oh, who, who doesn't love The Last Starfighter? We're completely They're... surrounded. Exactly, we've got them right where we want them. That's the attitude.
0: The, um, the best yeah. part of that is uh, they they gave you a satisfying conclusion, but if they ever wanted to come back, they still could. They just would you know, take it years in the future. Like, yeah. oh no, it fell again, or you know, something. So it's it's kind of like the perfect storm on how to do a movie where you give a conclusion, but you still leave room to come back. Yeah. Like if- Firefly, for instance, you couldn't come back with those characters because you know, some of them aren't alive, some of them didn't age. Whereas with this franchise, there's plenty of room for them to take the story forward no matter what you bet.
1: And, and pick another starfighter. Yes, exactly, because they had a selection process and and it worked. So, no, no, I, I, I love the concept. I love how they did it. And uh, I, I think that was a great, great movie as well.
0: Okay. So, the um, at a certain point in time, um, do you expect you might start doing, if you get enough growth on the newsletter side where people are like, okay, we want more, or are you going to definitely keep it to one a month?
1: We might go, we might go more. I, I would love to run multiple promos. And one thing we found is Science Fiction Romance. We lost so many subscribers when we ran a a sci-fi romance promo. So it's kind of like, eh, we can't do sci-fi romance, even though we're a sci-fi organization. It would be cool if we had a unique sci-fi romance newsletter. So we could publish that because sci-fi romance at the heart of it is science fiction. And uh, romance authors have a tendency to know how to write well because the competition is so fierce in the romance market. And I am not going to ever bash romance. Don't ever think that. If you think that, you're wrong. It's uh, it's one of those uh, it's one of those things because sci uh, romance is seventy percent of the book market. So think about that. If they're competing in that marketplace and doing well, then they know how to tell a story. So we should we should read a little more sci-fi romance. And one of my thrillers, one I'm working on right now, is uh, romantic suspense. I market it under that category as well, because it has that romance factor, but oh, by the way, it's a, it's a thriller. So the, uh, so that's the one genre that we're still working with, but I would love to do an every other week newsletter with different genres like fantasy and one and sci-fi and the other, because we don't get a lot of crossover. They can be almost unique in, in what they like. And two a month I don't think is, is obtuse, but if we grow it enough, and get enough uh, authors right now, we're at about 800 author members. Uh, if we get a couple thousand and a good, pers- a good variety of engaged authors, then uh, yes, we will grow it. We will take it where it needs to go to satisfy the reader's needs, connect the authors to the readers and hopefully bring in more revenue for the authors without having an increase in their costs because I, w- I wanna see them be successful. That's my measure of success is seeing all these other authors increase their sales, improve their margins and keep writing.
0: And uh, just full disclosure, I actually am a member as well, but I think this organization, I mean, yes, it's designed to help authors help each other, but I think as a reader, as a listener of audiobooks, like they have so many good sales that, you know, if you're looking for places that are going to give you quality as opposed to just whoever pays the fee, because, I don't think authors pay. I mean, I've been in a couple, and I don't remember ever having to pay. Although I don't handle my back end like that, but uh, it's he just he does a was it you think you read the first five percent, and if you don't like it, you say no, or is it shorter now? I don't know what your where your line is. What do you mean when you when you put a book in there? I know you you do quality checks. Uh, obviously, yeah. if if someone's normally good, uh, but for new authors, I think you you told me once you read the first couple pages, and that was it. If it wasn't oh, good,
1: I actually do not. We uh, okay. we don't do quality checks on them. We leave that up to the readers. And okay. if the readers aren't buying a book, then it's probably you. Uh, as opposed <laughs> to uh, hey, I don't know how to market. Hey, we're marketing it for you. And here it is. We're putting it on a slate with with a bunch of other books in the exact same genre. Uh, and if yours isn't, people aren't picking yours up. Mm. Something's wrong with it. It starts with the cover, then the blurb, and then the book. So if nobody goes to your book too, it's you. Uh, And that's a, that's a hard message that people have a hard time. Well, no, it's just the marketing. No, 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 no. It's probably you. Uh, You know, what are you doing to make sure you're writing a story that readers want to read and readers want to keep reading about those characters. So are you, are you writing a compelling story?
0: Yeah. I know you do the first 500 words with the anthologies. Maybe I was just mixing the two up, but I know you generally push quality, uh, is one of the, the things cuz like people are oh traditional publishing is the way to go and if you're indie it must mean you're bad and so you've work really hard to sort of counter that uh, old stereotype so i know oh, you with push the quality
1: the expanding universe i read the first 500 on every on every story and is it compelling or not is it written well is it is it does it flow and then if if it does and i want to read more then it goes back to you hey write the rest of the story. And when I get the rest of the story ready for publication, that's when I run it through my readers. I have a small group of readers only, none of them write to evaluate the story from a reader perspective. Is it good enough to, to maintain the quality? And they've done this for almost every, uh, TEU, every the anthology that I've put out. So it's the same group of these good stories, And I, the stories are getting better and better, which is great. So, that one has a qualities thing and it needs to it needs to stay that way so and there we are.
0: Some of the stories in those anthologies have won awards. I know you'd hadjarta Vijtney and I probably I'm sorry, Yuda if I butchered your name, but I know he had a story in one of yours that went on uh, to win an award locally for him in, in Sri Lanka. So some of those stories are, are you know when we say they're good, he's not just blowing smoke right
1: Oh we've had a couple nebula finalists out of the yeah. uh, the expanding universe as well. Uh, great reader, great writers writing great stories. So we, we try to maintain the quality and that's uh, some stories really stand apart for being compelling and, and gripping. And we try to get those up. Since then, we don't submit anything to the nebulas anymore because they pissed me off. So <laughs> I, IASFA, we don't have any awards. Your award is people want to read more of your work. So I tell people, yeah, got to keep writing. If you have one book, it's really not your marketing. Your marketing could be exceptional because there's some people with one book and they've sold, hey, I've only sold a thousand copies. Hell, you know how long it took me to sell a thousand copies of my first book? And I just went over a million sales. And no, you don't want to compare yourself to me because I work harder and not smarter. But a thousand copy of your first book, you're a superhero. You're a god among men. So yeah, just accept where you are and write that next book. Because if you can sell a thousand copies of one book, and that's all you have, then yeah, your next book is going to be lights out, going to do great.
0: If sometimes if the, the quality. Sometimes the lessons you learn in publishing are the hard or the hard way, or the ones that stick the most. Like I know I published my first series with Tim Taylor when he was running his own small press, uh, who's a, a sci-fi writer uh, yep. from Britain, and he said, you know, because uh, you know, combat veteran writes for therapy, ninety-nine cent first book. Everyone was like, oh, okay, sure, we'll buy it. And then nobody, because nobody actually read it, they just hit the buy and left it, went on. So yeah, great, 10,000 sales. But if only 1,000 of them read it, that means only 1,000 are buying book too. And so you learn sometimes, you know, just giving it away isn't good enough because that doesn't mean they're going to read it. And that's the trick, get them to read it.
1: Uh, And that's where maintaining a conversation with the readership, like the IASFA newsletter, What's that conversation look like? Hey, what'd you think of that story? What was your favorite character? And if you can get them on your personal newsletter list, then that makes it even better because now you're having a conversation with the readership and, and what didn't you like? What do you expect to see in the next book? What do you expect to see in the series? What do you expect to see from a new series? Having a conversation with the readership helps you deliver a, a better and more focused book that will then sell better. And this is what, uh, I've used over over the eight years I've been writing full time to write better books and deliver better books and make more and more sales. Right now, every new book I publish is worth, geez, at least 20 my way up to a hundred thousand per book. So if I publish a new book, this is about what I'm going to make from it.
0: Nice. So speaking of conversation, dear listener, dear reader, dear viewers, um, the new feature on Spotify that lets us have these conversations. If you're listening on the audio platform, there will be a few questions attached to this episode. Uh, if you have questions as part of that for Craig about this organization or anything else he's writing, you could put it in the comments and I can make sure he sees all of that. Um, he's pretty good. Uh, yeah. If you leave comments on any of the other platforms, YouTube, BitChute, Rumble. rumble. If when those come in, this happened in the last interview, we just send him, Hey, this, there's a question for you and he'll hop on and answer you. Um, so yeah. he's pretty good at communicating with you, dear listener, dear viewer. Um, oh, and Spotify.
1: And... Talking about Vegas, man, we've got everybody in Vegas this year. We've got uh, Dreamscape. We've got Tantor. We've got Podium. We've got ACX. We've got Spotify. So uh, uh, and Find Findaway Voices, which then became Spotify. So many great opportunities. If you're an author, you got to get there. And if you're a reader and you love science fiction, come on on Friday, November 10th to Horseshoe, which is formerly Balis, right across the street from Bellagio on the Strip come on and meet your favorite author. We've got, uh, David, uh, David Weber will be there. Kevin J. Anderson, Larry Correa, uh, me, uh, which of course that's all you need. Uh, then uh, <laughs> it, we'll have uh CKP, uh, Chris Kennedy publishing will be there. Uh, all, all kinds of science fiction authors you can't miss, but, uh, 10 November, the Marine Corps birthday, come on down and uh, meet some sci-fi authors, get, Get a signature or three, and enjoy yourself. So Bane should be there in force. They're having a number of people: Kevin Eikenberry, Robert Hampson. Uh, he just published a book uh, uh, with Bane. I'm I'm published with Bane as well on in a Larry Correa anthology. Uh, I think uh, uh, Casey Azell will be there. We have a very robust group of because it's me. I I, I run the show, so of course I know and invite all my friends come on, come on down, please come and enjoy uh, uh, the show. Let's talk about self-publishing, how we can improve our our profit margins, how we can improve our sales, how we can better relate to the reader, because about one-third of our presentation, we've got 170 presentations over three days in Vegas, Tuesday to Thursday for the authors, and a third of them are craft, how to write better books, and that is, and that's with IASFA, that's one thing I push constantly is you got to write good books. Readers are discriminating. That's why I am not concerned at all about AI books flooding the market and 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 books that are crap because they're not written, they're derivative, they don't write uh, with any kind of ingenuity, with any kind of uh, 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 unique flavor, unique voice. So I'm not worried about that because readers will find the good authors and will keep coming back. And that's uh, that's what I'd like to think, that that I've written good books because the readers keep coming back to me. And uh, they will pick up the next book, and they will pick up the next book and, and stay on board, join my newsletter and stay on board. Because, well, they like seeing pictures of Stanley, my dog, but they also like uh, the stories that are right.
0: And if you follow him, he also sometimes shows cool pictures from Alaska, where he allegedly sometimes is when he's not on the moon. Uh, speaking of allegedly, sometimes that's a horrible segue. I'll do better, people. Uh, I know you've got a heart out, but what are you working on right now? Because uh, we're going to air this pretty quickly after the interview so you can get people excited for uh, your next thing.
1: Jeez, I t- I t- The next Judge, Jury, and Executioner, uh, that's Judge, Jury, and Executioner number 19, called Torch the Sky, comes out August 29th. That'll be my next release. The one after that is the Expanding Universe 9. An anthology collection of short stories, and then in in uh, October, the first book in a nine book series called Starship Lost publishes, and the first three books are are written, uh, edited, proofread in the can, and getting turned into audiobooks right now, as well as print books, uh, and that starts in October. Also, have a book that I'm working on that's real close to being finished called. Uh, the Veracity of Failure, It's Humanity's Race to Mars. So it's a near future techno thriller that uh, I hope you enjoy. It's a standalone. There's only one book in that uh, in that series. And that one will probably publish October, November. And uh, uh, what I'm working on right now is my my Ian Bragg 5 uh, thriller. It's been two years for that series because I had to put something on hold when I picked up the two books that I wrote for uh, John Heinmarsh. But those are done now, and I'm on just my stuff. And uh, then uh, November, what do we've got? Starship Lost Two. We've got Glory Three, which Glory is a series we published uh, each year, and that is a military sci-fi. And why am I publishing all these books at the end of the year? Because Amazon. I'm almost exclusive to Amazon, and that is the highest payout rates and the best engagement. So that's when I front load. That's I haven't. I published like two books this year so far but I've uh, stockpiled. I have a bunch of other stuff sitting here ready to go as soon as the the, uh, Kindle Unlimited pay rates come up and they will starting in September, October, November, December are traditionally the highest payout months. So let's publish then. Let's uh, make sure we maximize our revenue because it's a business. And whether you get it in March, July or or, uh, October makes a big difference for how I get paid because if somebody reads the book, They're going to read the book once, and then you'll only get paid once, even if they go back and keep rereading it in Kindle Unlimited. So understand that's why we might hold off publishing until the fall, which is exclusively related to a payout from Amazon. I'm not trying to stiff anyone, but once you get into it, I think the first five books will be just one month apart. Book two is already on pre-order. Book three is on pre-order. Books four, five, and six will be on pre-order before you get to book three. So you can just smoothly go from one book to the next there that's what i'm working on jr what about you man
0: uh, i'm working on two different series at the same time with james ward um he's primarily writing one and i'm editing it uh it's a game okay. series and then i'm working on one through the wargate publishing it's a uh modern striker unit It's well modern to my time in service so circa oh five striker uh guard unit gets sucked into fantasy egypt and fights the gods uh because that's we were great. ambitious so we trade off we Edit over each other and pass it back and forth, and that way we don't have dead air. Um, that's cool. So you I, mentioned James I've written written with awesome. Jim Ward.
1: I, I'm I've written a couple books with Jim Ward, and uh, he has a great mind for a, a imagination for story elements. So, bouncing ideas off him is incredible. So, yes, yes, I uh, enjoyed that.
0: And if you like gaming, he was there in the beginning, as they say. So that's always a good thing. Yeah. So before we get your contact, so people can find you, and that way, if you get cut off or you have to bounce, I'll, I can wrap up the end part. But if Elon Musk hires you and says, "Craig Martell, I want you to put on your space, your new uniform as a Space Force Colonel, and be the overlord of Mars," do you take the job?
1: Actually, no. I, I am so broken, I can't breathe. <laughs> I got a bad heart. So uh, no, I'm not. I'm not leaving. I'm not leaving Earth unless I get a new set of lungs and a new heart and I'm not holding out for that. And I don't want to take it from somebody who needs it more than I do. So uh, no, I don't take it, but you can find me on c r a i g m a r t e l l e C R A I G M A R T E L L E.com. Everything I've done is on that website.
0: Absolutely. And so this is the part of the interview where we remind you that your thoughts matter. So please be kind and speak your mind. On the reviewing platforms, your reviews help the right readers find the right books. And keep in mind when you're writing these reviews, especially someone like him who's got thousands, you're actually not talking to the authors, although some of them read them. You're talking to other readers and pimping what you love. And if you pimp it well enough that it makes enough money, the author says, huh, readers must really like this. Let me write more. So that is what you're doing. You're helping sell the books so you can get more of the books you like. Um, And if you don't like it. You don't have to, but it's very nice if you're going to give it a bad review to say why you didn't like it. Because sometimes that can sell reviews as well. I got one review that said, this is like a 12-year-old with ADHD wrote gun porn. And I'm like, please let me use that on ad copy because that's genius. So, I mean, just share your thoughts. It really does matter. You can find us on Linktree. It's at link, L-I-N-K-T-R dot E-E backslash blasters and blades podcast again linktree backslash blasters and blades podcast uh where we link to our bit shoot our rumble and all the things because youtube does not like us linking to their competition we also have a Twitter at uh, twitter.com backslash SF underscore fantasy underscore show. Again, Sierra Foxtrot underscore fantasy underscore show. We have an email at blasters and blades podcast at gmail.com. Again, blastersandbladespodcast at gmail.com. I promise we answer the um, those letters. If you want to send hate mail, Nick Garber at blastersandblades podcast.com. He loves to argue with people. So you know you've got perfect competition right there. You can out out argue each other and email for funds and giggles and whatever people do for free time um we have a facebook page we don't have um a dedicated url that is in the works but if you look on facebook uh for blasters and blades facebook page the link is there instead of the gobbledygook i would have to give you otherwise speaking of we have a website at anchor.fm backslash blasters tacky and tack blades again anchor.fm Backslash blasters dash and dash blades Uh, for as little as 99 cents a month. You can help support the show there. Uh, Help keep the lights on. These shows aren't free to produce, you know, for someone who's living on the moon. Wi-Fi is a thing for the rest of us. The uh, the hosting costs cost money. So we appreciate your support. If you want to support the show more directly, buymeacoffee.com backslash author jr handley again buymeacoffee.com backslash author jr handley be sure to put in the comment section that it is for the podcast and i promise i will keep my co-host doc saska and nick garber duly caffeinated they will drink until their liver explodes and speaking of support craig was modest and he didn't mention it and it's not on his website yet but he does have a patreon that you can support him uh get early access to things and that will be linked in the show notes as well uh, you know, he's, he's mocks me all the time. He gives me advice about pimping myself. So I'm going to return the favor and remind him he should tell you about it, but it just started this week. So he gets a pass this time. <laughs> But with that being said, thank you for spending some of your precious time with us. For the absentee, Nick Garber and Doc Saska, I am JR Hanley, and this was the Blasters and Blades podcast. We'll be back next week at the same time where we'll indulge our love of nerd culture, cheesy jokes, and all things that go boom. And yes, that person that sent the comment, I know I speak fast. Get over it. It's just me. You can listen to it in slow-mo if you need to. <laughs>
1: hey, thanks, JR. You guys have thanks a great day. A nice, and thank you, everybody, for listening.
0: All right. And we're out.